time for Wait What? Your regular dose of real talk with the ghetto genius, Jay Wonder. What's up, y'all? Welcome to Wait What? Your regular dose of real talk. I am your host, the ghetto genius, Jay Wonder. And today's guest... You might have seen some of his work from shows like Heroes, Lost, Ray Donovan, Grey's Anatomy, House, CSI, and Prison Break, to name a few. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome to today's show, Gregory, and if I murder your last name, Greg, you can kick me in the nuts right after, Yatanis. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, actually. It's Yatanis. I mean, it's, it's, okay. But, but like Gaitanis is the is the more traditional Greek pronunciation of it. I think it got Americanized and became Yatanis. But uh, I appreciate those credits. Those are like my old credits. Oh my god, that was good. But uh, you know, the stuff I've been doing more recently, like Unabomber and Banshee and Quarry, and um, uh, I just came off doing Snowfall and The Old Man. It was like, you know, during time of COVID. So that, that's been uh, that's been quite a ride. How you doing? Jeff? I'm good. I'm good, man. And thank you again for taking the time. I know. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. This is great. Yeah, it's it's cool because I remember when we were trying to connect, you were in production for Snowfall. And I uh, wanted to, you know, we'll get into it in, into the show a little later on. But thanks for taking the time. I know it's been a crazy year, I think, for everybody, uh, specifically the entertainment industry i'm i'm in advertising myself so um, i'm not i'm on a much smaller scale as as what you do Uh, but i've seen the effects of it and how it's kind of evolved into something we have to adapt to collectively Um, and i know i know it has been a challenge for you guys how long have you been in the industry and was this a career you've always wanted to have being a director and producer yeah i mean it, it became, you know, the thing was I'm a camcorder kid. So like when I was 14, I saw a camcorder for the first time. And so I didn't, you know, I think like a year or two sooner, I would have been messing around with Super 8, you know, the way like JJ was and stuff like that. And that, you know, really having that immediate access to video. And when I saw it, it like clicked. And so that was 1984. And that really started to become a hobby. I thought I was going to go into psychology. In fact, I ended up minoring in psych when I was at USC just I didn't know I knew my path was going to be through film I didn't know necessarily if that would be the end game but I I was studying psych and I had a couple other minors when I was at school to take advantage and also sort of broaden the the you know my horizon and I, I was pretty fortunate I got out of school and you know I was, I was there at USC that's what brought me to California from Boston I got out in 1992 during the LA riots, I, I, I had, before there was Kickstarter, I hustled and raised about $18,000 to make a like Twilight Zone-esque short film. Um, and it was really like the last hurrah of the short film, you know, like that same year that I was coming out with Rorschach, uh, Robert Rodriguez came out with El Mariachi and suddenly, you know, you had a guy making a full, crazy, amazing action movie for $7,000 and selling his body to science and that whole great story. In fact, you know, for Christmas, I got my son the his book, you know, Rebel Without a, Without a Crew, you know, because it was such a great story of what he did. So now the expectation changed. So I kind of got in there and, and it was and I was able to start kind of opening doors. I got an agent out of the short. I got some early jobs that were not directing, but 
but in the world. I was a visual consultant. My first um, two things kind of happened at once. I I was a visual consultant for Diane Keaton off my short film. Three things happened actually. I, I doing visual consulting for Diane, and that that involved like working with her on shot design, and you know taking these like notebooks that she had of all these like ideas and then somehow translating that into a visual language because her emphasis was working with the actors and 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 even though she had a real visual incredible eye she wanted somebody just to help her actually like work out that what the shots were ahead of the day and so she would play all the parts and so you know i'm 20 or my early 20s you know 23 and I'm making this like video movie of Diane Keaton playing all the parts from the movies that she directed. So the first one we did together was Unstrung Heroes. And then the second one was Hanging Up. And then simultaneous to that, my short film got in the hands of Steven Seagal. And Steven Seagal gave me my first break because he brought me to Warner Brothers. Uh, and Lorenzo de Bonaventura gave me my first like movie deal. So like I'm 23 and it's all working out how I think it's going to work out and the dream's happening. And you know, I really start learning that the movie business is, you know, is it's not broken. It just like, it has its own rules and pace and it just getting things going. You know, I was such a rube on like, Oh my God, like I'm going to go make a movie. I'm making my movie. And, 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 you know, I just languished there and I was temping in a mail room between, it was actually Diane finding my short film and finding my phone number on it, calling me while I was like sorting mail in a mail room down at a law firm in Los Angeles when I, uh, when I got that call. And so Moments after that, while I was still not making any movies for Warner Brothers, uh, an Israeli producer named Zuri Maimon had made a deal with New Image, which New Image became Millennium Films for Avi Lerner, Danny Dimborth, those guys. And he wanted to like make an action movie for them in the style of my short film, which is a very kind of stylized thriller, Twilight Zone type piece. So I, I like in my early 20s, all these kind of things came up and commercials were calling and I had to make a choice. And, you know, it was in the midst of all that, that like nothing kind of was happening that I decided to try to shadow in television. I saw that, you know, there was more channels getting added. There was more content. There were so many shows and thought that might be a good place. Cause I, I, I was like, I had all these great things happening, but I just wasn't really working. You know, I was like working in a, in a way and wanted to find other ways to actually direct. And I'm like, you know, I was figuring out quickly that like TV needs to be on every week. Like they can't just decide to like wait six months or a year to do something. So that really kind of got the ball rolling. So I started shadowing on like episodes of sliders and the practice and things like that, you know? And so Jerry O'Connell and I were still uh, friends, you know, cause we met, we've worked together a couple of times. But we met when I was like a shadowing director on sliders. In fact, that was where I learned that the, the director of, um, uh, I ended up getting that first opportunity at Universal because I had I hustled my way into Universal on the on the operations side to get an editing room and and some equipment and things like that, and I built those relationships and that eventually led to getting the shadow on on like a Universal show. So I was like I was a, I was a hustler in my twenties, really scrambling around and knocking on doors, and there was no streaming. That I just had to like literally drive my VHS copy of my short around to anybody that would watch it. That is crazy how it's evolved. You know, is, is it one of those situations you've been doing this obviously for a very long time? Do you ever look back at it and look at how that all started? It, like to give you a humbling experience because you got, you got to think about it. Like people today, they don't have that grind how you know we used to or used to. I mean, you're here. You are t- carrying around a VHS. 
you know, it, before, you know, there wasn't no streaming. There wasn't any of this social media. You literally had to go and knock on doors. You had to, you know, you had to grind and hustle and do all that. Do you ever kind of reflect on that from time to time and say, well, shit, man, I, I can't believe I did this. I was in a mailroom and, you know, Diane Keaton of all people, give me a call. And all these building blocks start to stack up. And, and here you are today, years later. I know it's, it's, it's funny when, when you talk about the VHS thing, like I was excited by VHS then because I didn't have to hustle a print and try to get people into a projection into a theater to watch what I had made. I was like, Oh my God, this is great. So when streaming finally caught up and was there and I was speaking at schools and they're all baffled how to get their stuff out. I'm like, Oh my God, like you could, you could just send a link in an email and the emails are accessible and all this stuff. I mean, I had to like get the Hollywood creative directory and everybody's addresses and punch them onto labels and, make a physical invite that I mailed out and get RSVPs and keep track of the names. And, you know, and, and I really try as I've gone to not be like, you know, well, in my day, you know, I had to, you know, walk through a mile of snow with my VHS to get everybody look at my thing. But, you know, I, I think like the, the lesson I took away from it is I've, I've not forgotten, you know, the, the, the hunger and the hustle of that. You know, I feel like that's something that has not, you know, you don't ever get complacent. You know, you evolve that work and that hustle into different channel in a different way as you get to know your craft and understand the world you're in in terms of being a little more discerning on, on what you take. In a way, recently was reflecting back at sort of the simplicity of my career in those first 10 years because I just took what came. Like, you called me to come do something, like I was there. And then really where careers get complicated and you see what happens and you can see why you understand why careers flame out is that you suddenly, you know, it's like playing dominoes, you know, you have to choose which one you're going to lay down. And so when you start having choices, that's a whole other muscle. Like you might be able to good at doing the thing in front of you, but you may not be good at like choosing and which thing is going to sort of lead and who's there. And sometimes, you know, doing what was directly in front of me, you know, were for shows that weren't particularly great and ended up getting canceled, which is what accelerated my career because I would go do a good job on a bad show and then it would be over. But those people would all go on to three different shows. And then I would get called by all of them. And then those shows would get canceled. So in a very short time, I'd say like in about seven years, I was working pretty nonstop. So from like 1993 to about 2000, I was like just getting from each gig to the next. And then like when I did Children of Dune, it all changed. Yeah. So speaking, speaking of that, um, that was a great segue, by the way, pre-pandemic. What was what was kind of the day in the life of just being a director and producer? I, I know you said for a seven year stint, you were, it was constant. How is that kind of before all this this pandemic hit in twenty twenty? Um, what what was kind of like your, like a typical day for you when you were on production? And the twenty years uh, after I started working regularly to the pandemic, it was like I mean at first, you know, when I could. You know, it, it, it's like you're kind of a kid, you know, it's like, you, you you know, when you get left alone with the freezer full of ice cream, you want to eat it all. So I was out there taking like I would find a way to squeeze every opportunity that came into I directed once 13 episodes in one year. So that was like that literally was like somehow got the schedule to work where I would like wrap and then start the next thing and wrap. And I would work in my cut and do everything else during my prep in terms of my editing and back then, you noticed the TV was really structured. Like you didn't go over schedule. You had your dates and your dates were your dates. That has all changed. And I've watched probably like five or six significant changes to the industry. And I think part of my, I'm, one thing I'm, I know I'm good at has been being able to kind of evolve with 
what those changes are and be able to kind of follow them. And day in the life, you know, and it, it's it's changed to before I had kids when I used to be able to go on the road and before I was married and all of that, um, and then divorced and then married and then divorced again. You know, it's like you found that work like flowed in and out. Like I didn't expect, um, as was the case between like 2010 and 2020, like I was on the road seven months a year with with Banshee and Corey and Unabomber right there was like a massive amount of my time out of town. Like work left LA and when and I've been I was largely working in the South, you know, which was a you know a really unique experience culturally and you know, as well as like, you know, going out of the country more and that those things becoming more the norms and seeing that like Chicago, New York and Atlanta becoming real viable hubs of production and then being able to like go on those things and the strain they put on, you know, the things that you, uh, your other priorities of life or family and, you know, doing that and trying to make it all work. And it's, it was a hard juggle and probably fell in my face more than I succeeded in that area, but I've got three great kids. So uh, I really have, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to turn that work inward and be able to stay home more and said I would only leave town for, you know, Star Wars, Marvel or Game of Thrones. So, yeah. <laughs> um, did you have a, a, a special mentor or was there an inspiration um, that you've tried to follow throughout your career? You know, there was there's the, there's kind of like two buckets of that. There was the there was like the filmmakers I uh, aspired me. You can see all that jazz behind me in that poster, you know, Bob Fosse was, you know, a huge influence on me as was Alan Parker, you know, with like Angel Heart and Birdie, Adrian Lyne, you know, with uh, Fatal Attraction and, and his work, you know, and, and the thriller, the, the psychological thriller. Like I really wanted to be making like nineties thrillers, you know, Pacific Heights and Hand That Rocks the Cradle and things like that, that were like these like high concept, really use the language of film, had the right amount of, dramatic acting mixed with shot design, sound design, music. I really, and I still really love that genre. That's why like, you know, I think I, you know, I really took to Unabomber because it was like set in the nineties and I could bring to a real story, that kind of uh, language to it. And so those, those filmmakers were influencing my visual style, you know, Orson Welles to, to some extent with his wide lens work and, and Citizen Kane and, and Bob Fosse editorially and, and just the, the raw visceral kind of soft European lighting, but that sensibility of, of Parker and line really, really took me. And then there was like the practical mentors, you know, there was, there was, you know, the guy that really taught me how to direct an hour of television who's since passed, his name was Richard Compton. He was actually who I was paired with when I was observing on sliders. And he actually hired me to direct like one of my first network shows, which is called players for Dick Wolf. And he, you know, I just really saw the economy of television. I saw the, 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 you know, the things you could do to tell an hour of television and the, and the concessions you make visually and the, and the, the efficiencies in which you stage the actors, you know, and when I was first kind of hustling in television, I was doing a lot of genre work because my, my first picture, the one I made for the Israelis on um, what was this uh, karate picture, you know, when going back a step, I was cutting my short film the, the, the short film that kind of started it, I was cutting next door to John Woo while he was cutting Hard Target. It was like his American debut with, with, uh, with Van Damme. And so our editors were just like, we were across from each other. And so before I knew about action, which, which you know, my, my sensibility was much slower and thoughtful and designed. And then I saw like and understood the way he was doing action. And, and I just was sitting in his office watching laser discs of his work because it hadn't really come to the States. Like, 
Tarantino, Rodriguez, like some cinephiles really knew him, but he wasn't yet kind of broken out yet. And so, um, and then that was right when I got this like karate prison picture called Hard Justice, which has kind of become like a cult film a little bit, but it's like, it's really, it's really known for being like the first John Woo knockoff in the States. Like, I mean, I just like, I had no other, you know, influence harder than John in that area. And so I just kind of emulated his style and, you know, John sort of takes that as a mixed bag of like, you know, wanting people to find their own style and not sort of ape him, but it was still sort of my attempt at making like an arty action movie with kind of some of his slow motion and the ballet of that. And then, so Richard Compton on TV and then a guy named uh, also a TV director named Rick Edelstein, you know, who was like directing TV during like the Aaron Spelling years and Starsky and Hutch and did a lot of sitcom work. And so he was one of my directing teachers at, at USC. And, and he was kind of through his class that I made my short film. So it was a way to do a school project without sort of really having a, a real student situation, you know? So he, he gave me, a, you know, he was great with me teaching me how to work with actors, which is something I think that directors now don't really have a real skill set at. And he ended up writing a, writing a book, which, you know, I encouraged him to write because he really, you know, I started to understand, you know, intention and, and, and understanding the actor's language and the objective of the scenes and breaking things down. We would sit at his house and talk through work, but, you know, because I'm a product of mentorship, I, I really believe in the value of it. And of, you know, I have like wonderful mentees that have, that have really come into their own over the years, you know, and been able to amplify their voices along the way. And I think that, you know, I, I, felt a lot of responsibility when I was in a position to, to be able to like give that back and doing, I've been doing that for probably over 15 years now. That's awesome. In regards to kind of the, the shows that you want to dive into when a, when a pilot or a script comes across your desk, what are the main things that you look for that are going to entice you to be like, you know what, this is, this is up my alley. This is, this is the show I want to do. Um, and take a stab at are there any kind of like criteria that you have when something comes across your desk and they're say hey greg take a look at this you know you'd, you'd be a great fit for it let us let us know your thoughts what are the kind of what are take us through that it's interesting because you know sometimes things come around that of course like turn into things they like you know i mean i had like early talks on like the umbrella academy and the boys like most recently in terms of those being you know doing well and sometimes you like get a script and you just see it and understand it and sometimes it just doesn't penetrate you know like whereas like there's definitely shows where i was definitely a better episodic director coming in to follow the established kind of language cast and style than i would have been have been the one to build the world and so you know when i get something it it has to have some you know thematic connection to me some sort of perennial quarry you know one of the things you know that's probably one of the things i'm the most proud of and i think that you know that's that is a you know deceptive show that is really, you know, the deconstruction of a marriage and the, and the tearing apart of a family housed in the hitman genre. So it was like to be able to kind of come into something that isn't just a shoot 'em up, but is in fact like, oh wow, like here's how here's you know here are the secrets we keep in a marriage, and these are the things we do, and this is like, and I and there was so and it all played out in these different relationships that you see in the show, including the hero one. And I could, you know, I was finding my parents over here, my grandparents over there, and me here, and then me over there. This person I, you know, saw an experience. So I was able to like draw on that, which, which, which was appealing to me to be able to work through those themes and try to like follow that as well as something that I think can be 
you know, a visual style as well as like, you know, beyond all that, I think, you know, and, and once I got in a position where I could start choosing things based on being interested in the people, you know, I find that I end up interviewing the people that I'm working with as hard as they're interviewing me because I've just, you know, what, something I really see with, with directing is that people really like something you've made, but then don't give you the room to make it and accomplish it and find the way that you did it. It's like, I, I, what I find now, especially is like a lot of producers that have really tight grips are not really a good fit for me. You know, like it just, you know, they, they hire me because they've liked Corey or Unabomber or something or something else that they've seen. And then, try to like micromanage the process and you know, I'm the right amount of collaborative, but I need to be able to be run, you know? And so the more room and trust I'm given, the more collaborative it becomes, the more we're building on something versus me being the physical executor of their, of like just being their hands, you know, like there's guys and guys meaning the collective, like men and women and however you identify you know, like I'm not, I'm not editorializing that in any, in any way. I'm just saying that there's, there's better fits for those kind of producers. So, so it's really like, it's that, it's the kind of the whole soup of it doesn't necessarily get it. I'd rather make something that was okay, but had a great experience making it than making something that was really good. And I was miserable every day and counting the days. Like I, you know, I'm, you know, at 50 now, uh, you know, I'm, I feel like I've got, you know, 10 significant projects before I turn 60. And I definitely don't want to be doing this past that. You know, I feel like I'd, I'd want to be, you know, just the physical grind of it. I'd, I'd like to be really sort of done. And um, I, I want to choose those last projects carefully and work with people that are creative and I care about. I can relate to you wholeheartedly when you talk about you'd rather do something okay and have a great experience than you know, something that was good and just be miserable because, you know, I, I'm, I'm in that advertising world where, you know, you want to be a part of a collaborative effort and group and make sure that whether it's you're working with clients or other producers or, you know, the director or photographer, that it is a joyful experience because I, you know, sometimes when you're in those rooms, you can, you can cut that tension with a knife and, yeah. you know, facial expressions and demeanor speak volumes. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you've experienced it thousands of times on set. That said, is there is there like a dream cast you would like to work with? And if so, who would those people be? And what would kind of be the dream? I don't know whether it be TV show or movie that you would like to direct and produce. I mean, I you know, just going back a step on what you said about that. I mean, that it's really true. Like I've seen so many times that people are like, they're when I say their grip is tight, like, you know, navigating somebody that just simply wants what they want. It's like, that's not fun. Like any, anybody can execute that if you're just like, they should really execute it. Like I've, I've had meetings and I've just said like, look, you should really be directing this, not me. You know, like this is like, there's really very little room to bring something to you. And like the things you like are like, that came from like my heart and having room, like firing up that stuff. And if you can't, if you're to be cutting the tension or somebody just can, they constantly are afraid that fear is such a great enemy. In fact, it's why I stepped back from show running and, you know, having done it for 10 years, you know, I, I think that, you know, uh, you know, my, my daughter's mom is the CEO of, uh, of Kosas and just, you know, we've talked a lot about CEO burnout, you know, and, and what you find running a show is that you're sort of a accidental CEO, you know, you're put in charge of this pop-up company for six, seven, eight, ten 10 months a year. And, you know, the repeated kind of abuses that take place of just people just dumping their fear on you becomes exhausting and, you know, the, the wells dry. And so, 
you know, I stepped back and realized that I could be like a great number two or three to support somebody else and not have all that fear and tension, which has been escalating actually each year of the business sort of leveled directly at me and that I can do what I do best, which is creating. Um, in terms of Dreamcast, you know, I like, I got to say, like, sometimes you feel like you're somehow going to destined to work with somebody. Maybe I just feel like Mark Ruffalo is in that path someday. I just feel like something about that vibe. Rachel McAdams is another one that I just like, sometimes you just watch somebody, you're like, something's going to vibe there someday. And like, we're going to collaborate someday, somehow. I don't know why or why I think that. Um, it's not necessarily like whose work I'm, you know, completely like nuts, but there's sometimes like, you know, they're just like there and they as actors, like when I seek out their work because they're in it, because I like watching them and I like watching their choices and I'm interested in how they approach, you know, or their, or the, the versatility that in which they can approach things. They're funny, they're dramatic, they're, you know, I thought, uh, I know this much is true. was like mind blowing, you know, with Mark Ruffalo's work. I was like, I, I didn't know. I mean, first of all, you know, um, Oh God, the director of that's escaping me right now. Uh, Sir, Sir France. Um, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. He did the place beyond the pines and you know, he's an incredible filmmaker. So I was like that I was like dying for on multiple avenues of being able to watch it. And so, so I have like people like that whose work. I just really dig and like want to like, and I would love to like work on the flip side. You know, I, I worked with Tim Robbins recently and I was, a, I wasn't like paralyzed in it. It's just like, you know, you admire somebody's work for so long and then you're just like, uh, you know, like Jeff, I mean, you know, he was right there to want to collaborate. And I think he like gave me a pass because I was such a fanboy. I was just like, oh my God, and this and that. And like, you know, I'm like, I'm like I already have my tickets for the 40, you know, the, the, the whatever the anniversary of, uh, of Shawshank is. And then the, you know, the Jacob's Ladder anniversary is coming up 30 years. And, you know, and then, you know, like Jeff Bridges was somebody I was like obsessed with and really wanted to work with. And then that happened. So like, and then he like was everything great, you know, like, yeah. You know, I had I had had a run on some shows of just you know real like kind of like toxic male leads in situations like that, and so I like you know came onto Castle Rock, worked with Sissy Spacek, like went from that to you know working with Jeff Bridges and uh, John Lithgow, and I just found that like it's so great to be back in collaborative environments, you know, versus kind of the the, the male diva, you know, which which is you know I found that you know, for any bad rap that like, you know, women get for being divas, like the, the men like really can like turn that on far more. Like actually my, my great collaborations have been with, you know, actresses in a way. And I find that, you know, men directing men can sometimes be like really fruitful, but can also sort of trigger other things at play, you know, and, and, and that is challenging part of the process. I really do just like to show up and do the work and like enjoy the work and keep it civilized and, make it a collaborative, safe place for people's ideas, and including mine. What do you think is the biggest misconception about directors? I think the biggest misconception is that my job is easy. And I think it's funny because I have the job that everybody thinks they can do on set. Whereas I know I can't do, you know, I couldn't do anything from craft service to the sound to <laughs> costumes. Like, I think everybody's job is like unique and important. But I, I think that you know, you, you know, I mean, I mean, what I found is that I think I, I work with a certain ease on set. And I think that can sometimes be mistaken as like, oh, like there's not much going on. Like nobody's there at night or sort of pouring over the prep work with me. You know, I think a show is made in prep. And often when I'm on set, it's that last bit of collaboration and sort of new ideas and being able to kind of pivot into that space. But I think generally people think the job itself is 
particularly easy and anybody can do it and take it on. It's the, you know, it's probably the easiest union to get into that way. And, you know, cause you just have to be given the opportunity and you can get in the director's guild. Um, that said, I don't, I don't ever want it to be exclusive. I get really excited for new voices and want people to come up, but I think there's a, you know, often I've seen a general attitude that, that like, oh yeah, I can do that. And like, and, and it's been pretty amazing because like I've given people opportunities and they come sit in the chair, like nothing makes me happier than just watching them have to field all these questions and like finally getting it. Like, it's like, it's almost like, I love like, it's, you know, like I, I did that with one of my mentees once where she, you know, stepped in and, you know, it was like, I was really fun to watch. Like, oh my God, like there was so much that, that, that in within, 20 seconds like was like shocking and like a realization i think when people get in and the complexities and you really you really see what you're made of in tv because of the fact that you know you have to be able to pivot at a moment's notice a giant ship with whatever's coming your way and however things are going so that's why i like you know producing was a was more of a byproduct of being able to have a stronger creative hand in my work and i love taking that knowledge as a producer into my episodic work because I can make those pivots and be able to understand the macro of the production and the studio and the network and all these things that I've already dealt with, with the thing I'm like, with the task at hand, you know, versus like when the going gets rough, I don't have to turn to somebody to wonder what to do. You know, I can help solve the problems as I'm going and get out in front of the things that I can see coming down the pike that are going to get in our way. Knowing what you know now, from when you first started, is there anything you would change or tell your younger self as, as a word of advice as a, Hey, young, young Gregory, here's what, here's what you need to know, man. Talk to my younger self. And I, 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 it's funny. I, I do like try to like talk to my future self. I'm like, I do a lot of things where I'm like, you know, future Greg is going to be happy that he did this, this way, or sort of put this thing in here. Like I'm, I'm protective of my future self. Um, but if I were to go back to the early days, I think, you know, one of the, I think one of the real things I learned was that, you know, you, you grow up, especially as a guy, you're taught like honor and loyalty and responsibility and these things. And so, you know, the real sort of big, like bucket of water for me was that was, and I, and I took, I was a little bit like Lucy and Charlie Brown on the football, you know, where like, it, it was a hard lesson to learn. And as you, as you find out, as you get older, you know, lessons will keep kicking you in the ass so they teach you. But basically I found that like, I, you know, I had certain choices that would have been in my better interest to do and didn't choose that path because I had a sense of responsibility or loyalty only to have that entity not give a shit. It's like ultimately like, you know, me as an artist working for any particular of these giant corporations really don't care. Like they don't have a real, they're not looking out for the artist. They don't care. It's like, if you don't do it, they're going to step over your body and go to the next thing. And so I remember, you know, like having an opportunity to do this film and, you know, I was like, look, I, you know, I said, I'd stay here at this job and I do this, I do that. And then literally like, you know, like the show was canceled, the deal was over. The, right, there was like, there was like all this stuff that kind of happens that can just happen very suddenly for reasons you can't control. And I've had that happen, you know, and it's, and it really is like messed things up for a while because, you know, work is so planned in advance when you are like on that tear. So I think it's hard to say, and it sounds really awful when I say it out loud to be a little more selfish that way. I think I was very like, Hey, you know, I want to like write by this and do that. And then I was like, Oh wow, that person, that person wasn't playing the same game as me. They were just like, 
oh, hey, this happened and it's over and there's a thing and it's done. I was like, oh, okay. But I was like, sorry, that's not our problem. Like, I was like, I mean, it was like, that was like, you know, and, and of course, like if you're operating at like such an altitude that you're like a cash cow, that's a different conversation. But I did find that kind of there, you know, as something. And I think that, um, you know, in terms of other lessons that I could have like been more aware of, you know, I think that wouldn't have, I mean, all that would have done is put me on a different path. Who's to say that's the better path, you know, like I, we, we make the choices, you know, I've, I've really, I think, you know, one thing that we can all get in our way on is just our own self-limiting thoughts. You know, I think when you start getting into choices, you either have to like lean into the choice you're making or just be paralyzed that you're going to, because there's no right way. There's no way to know that this job's going to lead to your thing. It's like everything has sort of branched me out in the direction I'm supposed to be going. And to embrace that, I feel really good about the choices I've made. I think I've won far more than I've lost. That's great. I mean, that's great, especially, you know, being in a cutthroat industry. I mean, everyone knows, and I don't think a lot of people get it. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on. Uh, not only because, you know, you've been doing this for so long and you've you've had success throughout the years of, of shows that you've directed or produced, but, you know, I think a lot of people on the outside, and I was one of those people until I actually became a producer myself in the advertising world was, oh, that's easy. I, fucking anyone can do that. When uh, the reality of it is, is that like, okay, walk a mile in my shoes and sit down in this chair and do the work and good luck. Being like, you know, that's the thing, like I was never, then the other interesting thing is like, I'm not cutthroat by nature. You know, I always remember this line in the Sopranos, like, which was like one of the later seasons when Tony's been shot up during the whole thing with the garbage trucks and all this stuff. And he's like the one boss is visiting the hospital trying to like make peace. And he's like, Tony says, there's plenty of garbage for everybody. And so, you know, I, I really sort of felt that like, there's plenty of garbage for everybody. There's like, there's plenty for me to direct without trying to cut the legs off anybody else. I see people that do that and it's really one of the more unbecoming characteristics. And I find that people like that don't have the wherewithal to last. Eventually, you know, that's a very short term game that you're playing. You know, I, I, you know, one thing I always try to come in is, you know, I sort of leave people as advertised, you know, which is that like, I come in, I'll make your life easier during this time. I know what I'm doing. I'm a grown up. You know, you can pay attention to the thing that's coming next and not have to like babysit me. And you'll have a good experience and you're going to get good product and, you know, you'll be able to service everything. And so, you know, having that reputation and, you know, was and is really important to me in my work that, that, you know, I can be relied on and, you know, that I can, you know, deliver. And, and I fought hard, you know, what, you know, during, you know, a variety of the shifts that happened, I was really glad that I, you know, at certain personal sacrifices, like fought hard to stay in kind of an upper tier of work because, you know, you know guys, especially like, you know, it's it, white guys in the middle really got squeezed out, you know, as more inclusion was happening. And so if you weren't really operating at, at a certain altitude of work or quality of work, you know, that, that there just wasn't going to be that opportunity. And it was important for me to to work hard to stay in there. You know, I'm not as necessarily as you know, sexy as a, a name as a particular feature director that people like, but you know, like when you're getting in there and you're like filling out your roster and you need that support, or I have all these relationships after, after these years, you know, I'm the person that will get that phone call. Nice. When it comes to production, we all know it can be stressful, whether it's pre or post pandemic or whatever, or during what's your vice during those times? Because like you said, I, I'm sure you, 
Greg, you probably deal with so many egos and just so much bullshit around you, you know, where you're trying to focus on something. What is your advice when, when it comes down to stressful times um, during production? You know, I think that's taken many forms, you know, where, where I've, where I've evolved it to is that, you know, I think, I think what's very important is to end the day. You know, I think that there is a sense, there is a real like danger when you're working. And, you know, I was just talking to a close director friend of mine and I was looking at his schedule and and this will probably be my next thing. And um, when I'm able to talk about it, the, you know, is that I could see that he was like, he had a thousand things going on. And I was just like there to remind him that it's going to get done and to that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think that you know, you can very easily get swept up and like, I'm obsessed, I'm an obsessed artist and I have to like work all night and you're really leaving very little to give on the field the next day. And so like, I think for me is like, I definitely find, you know, I, when I get home from set, I, you know, I wind down, I look at, I look over the day's work, like right when I get home for the next day, just to like see what's coming, look at the call sheet, just see kind of my plan of attack, just go over my shots and I put that down, you know, shower, have dinner, and then, you know, like some tequila, you know, something just to kind of like end the day and have some quiet, maybe watch something that isn't my, the thing I'm working on. You know, you can't do that all the time. There's emergencies come up, but I think generally trying to kind of mark the end of the day and give yourself some self care, I think is important. So either that's, you know, some sort of physical movement. I do try to get out to the gym, depending on the show. I try to like set my housing near someplace I can physically exercise. I think that I think just, you know, being mindful of your inner work because you carry all that stress and hang on to it until you are able to, and having those releases along the way. So there's a difference between like me releasing my stress versus me soothing it. And I think like keeping those things in balance are good. So, um, but just like feeling that like, you know, I've done a day and that needs to be acknowledged and not just blur all the days together is like important to my process. I have more to give. The next day when I feel I've like taken care of myself at the end of the, at the end of it. You know, and to your credit, man, let this be a reminder to not only myself, but to everyone listening, it's all about balance because, you know, right now, especially right now, we're in a time of a pandemic, obviously across the country, places are shut down. So a lot of people are limited to what they can do. And I consider myself a workaholic. I can get in those mindsets where I do get obsessed and I need to get it done. But you kind of really just put a lot of things in perspective for me because it's like, look, if I'm not fresh tomorrow, it might be, you know, whatever I'm doing might be shit, you know? And um, I appreciate that actual reminder that you've not only given me, but what you do for yourself. And I think it should, you know, people should take note on, yeah, it's all about, it's all about balance um, and your sanity. Um, So I appreciate that. That's, that was really, really thoughtful. Outside of uh, directing and producing, what do you like to do? What do you like to enjoy? Whether it's you know being outdoors, spending time with the kids, what is your your typical kind of activities outside of outside of work? I mean, it's a night. You know, I'm, I'm you know because of my family situation, you know, I have my kids you know half the time, and so you know the weeks that I have them, I you know I focus on them as much as possible. Like I like driving them. I like you know, figuring out their stuff. I like being there. I like that we watch things together, you know, on the weeks that I don't, you know, that's more, you know, I have more time with my girlfriend, you know, I love hiking around here. I love being in California. You know, that's been home to me, you know, for 
you know, since I was 18. So, you know, there's so much here, you know, the pandemic's obviously limited my ability to travel, but you know, that's also something I try to do. I mean, when I, I work hard, so I really want to like enjoy the downtime and like see the world a little bit more. You know, I, I also like, you know, I work in TV, but I love good television. So like, I love like falling into a show the way probably people love falling into a book, you know? So, and book reading, you know, cause I read so much for work with, you know, scripts and such that like getting just to like actually fall into a fiction book, you know, I usually like pretty trashy stuff. Cause I want to just like read something that's going to like move and be entertaining and kind of be like a surefire, you know, success when I, when I read it, um, to have that experience. Cause I so like, you know, don't get to do that as much anymore, but it's, it's again, like, you know, balancing, you know, we always say like, you know, Mondays are always the trickiest cause it's like the day the kids come or the day the kids go. So we all have like, you know, adjusting to do. And I think that creates a lot of compassion and patience that, you know, we're a family and it's certain ecosystem that has to be figured out. And it's, you know, really kind of listening to that, you know, I think too, as I've been, you know, as, as a, as a man getting, you know, more mature and growing up, I think just like my own like inner work and inner journey has been something that's been a priority, especially these last few years, you know, I really took arriving at the 50 year marker as something that, that, you know, there was real opportunity to wrap things up. I think the pandemic has been great because it's been so confronting for, for many people. And I think that being able to like, just you know, examine those things and not run away from them has been, uh, has been really rewarding. For anyone wanting to get into the industry of TV or movies, what would be the best piece of advice you, you could give those listeners right now? I mean, look, I, I think that everybody's got their own path. I think one thing I've learned and seen is that there's no, like, there's no, way that gets repeated in terms of how people get into the business. I think this is like, if I were out there, if like if young Greg was like seeing the opportunity and the possibility that was out there, I think like that, this is an exciting time. I think it's a really exciting time for, you know, women and people of color. I think because there's just, the doors are much wider open, you know, like TV was, it was like, I was like, when I was starting, it was like that catch 22. It's like, well, to direct an episode of TV, you have to have directed an episode of TV. And so now there's far more opportunity. I mean, I've produced so many like not unproduced writers and directors coming in for their first or their very early jobs that, and I've noticed that trend increasing. So on the one, so I feel like you're walking into a place that is particularly more welcoming than it has been in the past. And then honing your voice and like having something to say, you know, I think that can take many forms. That's either making a short yourself or having some script or piece of material or some way you get your work out there, a word or podcast or, you know, something that, that feels connective that, that, you know, is something you're controlling, you know, that's like a piece of intellectual property that belongs to you. And, you know, and, and that, ultimately that persistence, like I, I, I don't see anybody succeed. It doesn't matter at what point I've either mentored them or watched them or seen them that didn't involve like enormous persistence and hunger. And I think that as you sort of do the numbers, you know, 10 people want to direct five of them are just not going to even activate. They're not going to get past like just the, the dream of doing it or the desire to do it. And then now you're down to five. And so of those five, like, you know, two will be really, talented the other ones won't quite you know be able to like execute it so you're really not necessarily like looking at it like as a, in a competitive situation you look at it as like honing your voice 
everything you do towards that is something that's separating you from somebody else and you know and being able to stay on top of your game that way and you know it's 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 all the cliches of not giving up and staying on it it's like i mean i for every like meeting i got there was like you know meeting there was just like five meetings that i couldn't or people that wouldn't do something or i mean i remember like you know i would i would actually i you know when i was at universal with my editing i passed the mail room and i was like I saw the like I saw the stack of empty inner office like envelopes, you know, which were these things that you would like write on the person and the department and they would get sent. And so I would like I took like a stack of them and I would just stuff my VHSs in them and I would just start and I would dump them in the mailroom like as I'd walk by and and they would go all the way to the top. And then I would usually get a call from like the assistant, uh, you know, calling me to be like, uh, what's going on? Like, how'd you do this? And I was like, well, you know, so. I think just the hustle and making your own rules and not letting those rules, you know, fully define you and keep you down. Like there's so many ways to get your, your voice out there now. I mean, as you know, and you know, because of my work, you know, you know, you know, again, I do all the video content for COSAS, you know, really understanding like what, what that's been a real privilege for is being able to be at the front lines of, of watching Gen Z think and operate. And, you know, they're who I'm going to be working for for the next 10 years. So, uh, you know, really speaking their language, understanding the things that are important to them, how they want to work, you know, has been the next pivot of like the business. And so um, as they motivate and, you know, the visionaries emerge, like that's going to be exciting and to be like, and also, you know, I, I recommend to people to like feed your mind. Like, you know, like I, like I tell everybody about masterclass, like that thing is absolutely fucking great. Like before that, you know, like, like, like a place where like Martin Scorsese is talking about filmmaking. Like, are you out of your mind that that's available for a hundred bucks a year? Are you, are you crazy? Like I would like, I, when DVDs had commentary, you know, when, when I, that was like the time I was like ripping into them. Like, I wish I had that when I was 15, 16 years old and I could, I had nothing to do except just watch and listen to directors talk about their work, but listening to people talk about their craft, watching the craft, really knowing the world you're getting into. Like, you can't be like, I want to direct TV, but I don't like watching TV. Like it doesn't work, you know, like, so I, I encourage people to really feed, read, you know, learn, figure out their weaknesses, you know, acknowledge your weaknesses, which are in me, you know, when I was coming up, you know, my, uh, I did not have strength in talking to actors. And I spent 10 years like with my mentor learning how to talk the actor's language, you know, and that, you know, that changed everything. So, um, so I tell people to educate themselves. I don't feel that you need to go to school anymore unless you really need that to give yourself an, a reason to make something, but there's, there's more out there for free or for very little than a classroom is going to offer you now. That's, that's really, really good insight. And, um, I really appreciate it. Cause you know, I have, I have two kids of my own, uh, two daughters and yeah, uh, 14 and 11. Oh my God, so yeah. yeah, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, I, I really encourage them to, you know, they are our future and to see you talk about and understand how, you know, the next 10 years, you're going to have to evolve with these guys to these, you know, Gen Zers, you know, the next generation is, is great. It's a great thing to understand. Cause I think a lot of people, you know, at our age, you know, I, I think we probably get a bad rap like, Oh, they're Gen Zers. I don't know what they're talking about, but the, the reality of it is, is that, you know, they're our future, you know, they're, they're the, you know, the future presidents or scientists. It's their turn. Yeah. It, 
Exactly. Um, bef- yeah. Before we go, though, I did have one last question. In your whole career, what is the most proudest moment? Wow. Um, you know, there, there's a there's a sense of accomplishment when you when you wrap like wrapping quarry. You know, where I had done a hundred days of shooting on that. You know, all all on my own. You know, like I, I directed all eight episodes of that. You know, the the it's weird. The things you think like winning the Emmy for directing, you know, was like, you know, that, that oddly, like, that was like really exciting. There's like things that are exciting. And and then, you know, there's always the like unintended weird thing you didn't expect, you know, like the pressure that put on me and the sort of one of those like weird best of times, worst of times things. So I, I find that, wow, I don't really have like a great answer for that. You know, I think that there's, you know, when you, you know, I sort of take it to like day by day in a way, you know, like when I get through a good day, when the family flows and the work is good, when, you know, you feel like you're sort of vibrating at a certain frequency with the way things are like, that's like great. When I get to the end of those days, I have like more appreciation for the micro than I, than I necessarily look back on the macro, you know, because they are, you know, there's, I, 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 I'm always kind of like onto the next and I'd have to really search to give you a more meaningful answer. And I'm sorry, I don't have a better reply. No, but... no, no, not at all. Don't, uh, no need to apologize. I think, you know, you come from just from talking to you today, you know, you're very humble in, in your approach. And I think, God, I wish I thought like that a little bit more because <laughs> I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm always just so OCD and walking on eggshells. But, you know, I think you put a lot of truth to not only what you do in your field, in your industry, but I think in life in general you know, life in general. And, uh, you know, this interview today, anyone can take, you know, the knowledge that you have and the, and the wisdom that you're basically telling us um, and apply it to their life. And I think people should, um, I know I'm going to take, you know, a lot of these pieces of the stuff that you've been talking about, um, whether it was career wise or just personally to heart, because I think those are things that, you know, I've never really thought about until I'm actually listening. You know, I'm one of those people that I'm just like, I'll hear something like, oh yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. But, you know, to me, actually talk with you and get to know the day in, day out stuff that you've gone through, whether you're struggling or not, and you just trying to want to get through the day to put something together so meaningful, very special to you. You know, you're not just doing it to do it and then be miserable the whole time. You know, it's um, it speaks volumes, man. It speaks really, really high volumes. You can't you can't job it. You know, I just think that like unless and, and it's, you know, what I always sort of look for is like how I find my way into each project. You know, I think that's the thing is like, what's the thing I connect to? Or if I've like connected it to globally, like I love sort of finding the crack that like lets me in, and then it all sort of illuminates around. And it's, you know, it's been, you know, I've been fortunate to have a 30 year career. I was like, my goal was to be Rocky, which was to go the distance, you know, and, you know, I, I would see these things of like, you know, people going to movie jail and flaming out and, you know, I'm a, I'm a one man operation, you know, like I, it's like, if I'm not supporting the family, there's not like, I don't, you know, there's not a bigger company. I'm a, you know, I have to take care of my physical body, my mental health um, as best I can. And, and I've like, you know, I've learned the hard way through a lot and that's both gone in like life and, and with work and, you know, just, I don't like purport i know enough to know i know nothing and i just try to do my best with the thing i'm doing and deliver and be in a nice creative space with people like it's the thing that brings so much joy is when i'm like working with other creative people and dreaming in that space and how and like all the possibility of of that and and you know i hope that i'm 
privileged enough to keep doing it. And, you know, I can finish out between now 50 and 60 to, um, you know, deliver, you know, things that are interesting and, and meaningful, but I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the mirror and the feedback on this. It's great. No, man. Hey, uh, pleasure is all mine. Um, honestly. And I know the next 10 years for you are going to be nothing but, but amazing, man. You've, you've uh, paved the way, I think for a lot of up and coming directors and people out there currently in the industry. Um, and you're just a wealth full of knowledge. So I, you know, uh, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you coming on the show today because I learned a lot, man. I learned a lot and it's really great to bring on different types of people in different industries and, and what they do and, and hear their story because I think it's one that a lot of listeners will appreciate and get, kind of get the real insight of it. You know, um, I've, I've interviewed everyone from photographers to, you know, book agents and whatnot and directors like yourself. So it's been really humbling for me to really just get inside the mind of, you know, your guys' thought process and your guys' success. And um, I just want to let you know, I really, really appreciate it, man. So thanks. Uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Like, I'm so appreciate you reached out. I mean, all over Instagram of all places. And it was like great to like, I was like, yeah, this sounds great. Like this, <laughs> this will be, this will be a great way to, to connect. And so I'm glad that we were able to work it out and make it happen. Yeah. Anything, um, anything premiering next year that you've been working on? You know, I will, it'll, I, well, actually, yeah, I mean, there'll be, I would imagine snowfall. I mean, Jeff, you know, has been battling cancer right now. So that's impacted production on the old man. I mean, I finished my work because my work, uh, my work was done with him and, and I, you know, I, I, I did all my episodes are complete. So whether they can finish the story and, and release the show, you know, will, will remain to be seen with, with, with Jeff's health. So I hope that that show comes out next year because I'm really proud of it that episode of snowfall that I did. And it's been otherwise, you know, it's otherwise been quiet, you know, there'll be a lot in 2022 to see of mine, but I think for, uh, for now, just given the, the, the break, but the break was really, you know, I was, I was fortunate to be able to weather it and it was welcomed in a lot of ways just to like slow it down a little bit. And some of the changes it's bringing to, to the industry, I think will ultimately be for the better. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, man, good luck in, you know, future endeavors, man, these next 10 years, I know you're going to kill it. Um, Thank you. You know, you're just a humbling guy and I, I appreciate everything. And I'm sure I'm going to be um, either seeing you or talking to you soon. So yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah. For that said, guys, that is our show for today. I'd like to thank Greg coming on the show and giving us a little insight into the world of uh, being a Hollywood director and producer. You guys have a great rest of the week, weekend until next time. We will see you then. We're out. Peace. Peace.